self-righteousness and a whole lot of humility. I tell you, humility is a good thing, isn't it? Humility is a very good thing. We all need a huge dose of humility. I got, I got a little bit tonight. Uh, I was out last Saturday and, and saw, uh, saw the poster for this event uh, at two different locations on Saturday while I was out in two different groups. And I was thinking, man, there's me. Picture of me, poster of me up. You know, I was thinking, hey, I'm, I'm maybe starting to think a little bit more about myself than I should. And then I get here tonight, and I'm speaking to one of the pastor's sons that will remain nameless, uh, and he told me that he poked the eyes out in the picture of me that was hanging up at that particular church. So, you know, a little bit of humility is good for us all, isn't it? Because you know what? We, uh, we really do think more of ourselves than we ought to. And so we're going to see from Luke chapter 18... We're going to see a parable that Jesus shared, and we're going to learn some humility and learn some things that can help us battle against self-righteousness at at Servant's Heart. We like to stand when the word is read, so would you mind doing that tonight as I read to you this very familiar parable, the Pharisee and the tax collector, that is Luke 18, verse 9 to 14. It's the word for us this evening. Let me read this to you. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You may be seated. Let's pray and ask for God's help when we jump into this passage tonight. Father, thank you for your word. In fact, what I just read is, is the most important thing. Uh, That will happen tonight. Your word, your word was read. Change our hearts, Lord, by your spirit. I pray you would help me uh, to preach to these people tonight. Lord, help me. Help me to not be distracted. Help them to not be distracted. And help us to give attention to your word, because we really do need your help. So we pray for that. We ask for that in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Amen. Well, if I were to ask you how honest you are, I'm not exactly sure what kind of answer you would give me. If I were to say, how honest are you on a scale of one to ten? What is your honesty what is your honesty rate on a scale of 1 to 10? And I would hope that you guys would, would, would be honest at least some of the time. I hope you'd be honest uh, much of the time. But I hope that no one in this room would somehow think that they score a 10 every single time. Because, man, we've got a, we've got a problem. Uh, we're still sinners, right? I mean, last time I checked, last time I got up and checked, I was still a sinner We are still sinners. We are prone to wander, as we just sang, and we are still sinners. Men, men lie about a lot of stuff. If you, if you dare to Google online to see what things men lie about, here's the clean version. They lie about their age. They lie about their weight. They lie about their salaries. They lie about whether or not they have receding hairlines, which I do not have a receding hairline. 
okay? So it's an issue here at Servants Are. I do not. It's just, I just cut it close now. They lie about the size of the fish and the amount of the fish. And then if you listen to anybody recently, they lie about what they will do if they are elected into office. People lie all the time about stuff. They lie. They're, they're, they're dishonest. And you know what's weird about it is they're, they're not just dishonest with others. Often, they're dishonest with themselves. Honesty is a pretty major issue for all men. We, we like to, well, we like to impress. We like to impress. We like to, we like to have other people think that we really are better than we know deep down inside we are. There is something in us, in our sinful nature, that likes to impress others. And this, is, this has been ongoing for, well, for my entire life. When I was in 10th grade, when I was in 10th grade, there was, well, I was a very cool kid when I was in 10th grade, but there was a, a bully in our school named Matt Horace who would go around and bully people and he would just bump into you. And if you had your books, he'd bump into you and try to knock them over so he could ha 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 laugh at you. Well, Matt came around and he bumped against me. And I turned around and in, in, in just this awesome display of manliness, I punched the locker as hard as I could. I went, bam. And of course, the crowd was, oh. And I said, Matt, next time, that's your face. And I walked like this. I walked like this. And it was, I'm the, it, was like, it was like the Red Sea, the crowd just parted. They were like, wow, they were in awe. Walked like that. And I went around the corner into the stairwell and started crying because it hurt so bad. <laughs> Nobody saw that part, thankfully. But I liked to impress. And so I, I made an impression that day. That hasn't changed for me. I, I like to try to impress my wife. I still have this ridiculous urge to impress her. In fact, I tried this earlier this month. Do not try this. Men, do not try this unless you actually are bilingual. Do not try this. Earlier this month, her and I were going out. We had to go through the ATM machine. I took two years of Spanish in high school. I think I slept through most of it. But I took two years of Spanish in high school. So I said, well, I'm going to impress her. And so I went up, stuck my card in, pulled it out, and I pressed the Spanish so that it all came up in Spanish. Now, here's the problem. Okay, I'm used to my ATM machine comes up on the right-hand side in English, and it says checking and saving, and it says, what do you want to do? Well, this came up on the other side, and it came up in a different order than I was used to. And so I'm looking at it, and I don't remember what cuente de oros means, and cuente corriente, and consulte de saldo, and then one of them said, retarte dinero. I said, dinero, I know what that means. But by then it was too late. She says, you do not know what you're doing. So I canceled it, stuck it in again, pressed English, and did it the right way. There's something in us that wants to impress. There's something in us that is often, well, dishonest. And when that, which is silly, when it's, when it's me trying to impress my wife, but when that comes into the realm of faith, it's a serious business. It's no longer silly. It's no longer just something that's, that's funny. When pretending to be something that you're not, pretending to be better than you're not, pretending to, to deceive other people into thinking that you're something that you're really not, when that moves into your faith and into your walk with God, it becomes a very serious problem. And deception and self-righteousness our best friends. Deception, not letting people know who you really are, sometimes not even letting yourself believe that you can be as wicked as you can be. Deception and what we see here in Luke 18, self-righteousness, they're best friends and they're issues that you and I have to deal with. J.C. Ryle, he said it like this. J.C. Ryle said, We are all naturally self-righteous. It is the family disease of all the children of Adam. From the highest to the lowest, we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. We secretly flatter ourselves that we are not as bad as some others are. 
That's what we do. We secretly flatter ourselves that we are not as bad as some others. Man, you get a little bit of dishonesty going on in your heart. You get a little bit of dishonesty going on in your relationship with God, and you mix that up with some self-righteousness, and you are headed for serious, fatal waters. It's not a good thing. So tonight's topic, although there are some funny things to think about, about deceiving others and some, some silly examples like, like me trying to deceive my wife, the issue at hand of self-righteousness, there's nothing funny about it. Men, it's serious. In a recent article online, Paul Tripp says this to Christian men. He says this, As sinners, we are all very committed and gifted self-swindlers. You know what a swindler is? Someone to try to get one over on you. We are very committed and very gifted self-swindlers. No one is more influential in your life than you are because you talk to yourself more than anyone else does. What you say to yourself is profoundly important. Your words, and this is where we're camping out for what we're trying to learn from Luke 18, your words either aid God's work of conviction and confession, or they assist sin's system of deception. See, that's what's happening in your heart every day. You are either aiding, I am either aiding God's work of conviction and confession, or I am assisting my own self-righteousness, my own self-deception, sin, its system of self-deception. So it's important, he says, it's important to humbly admit that we're all too skilled at looking at our own wrong and seeing good, and we're all much better at seeing the sin, weakness, and failures of others than we are our own. Is that true? Yes. So easy for us to see the sins and the faults of others than our own. And then he says this, the bottom line is that sin causes us not to hear or see ourselves with accuracy. That's the problem here. That's the problem. We're not seeing or hearing ourselves with accuracy. And we not only tend to be blind, but to compound matters. We also tend to be blind to our own blindness. So that's what's going on here. And that's why we're diving into God's word and through the Holy Spirit and through his word, and hopefully through this sermon, we will find some help for this huge issue of thinking more of ourselves than we ought to. And these characters out of Luke 18, these two guys are going to help us tonight. Take a look at this again and see how Jesus introduces this parable. We're going to use this parable to aid in God's work of conviction in our life and not to assist sin's system of deception. Look how he introduces them in verse 9, introduces this parable. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and, this often goes hand in hand, and these people also treated others with contempt. And then Jesus introduces these two characters, the Pharisee who immediately in the minds of the people, they would have thought, well, here is a rule-keeping, religious, spiritual, godly example. That's what they thought when they thought of Pharisees in that day. Here's a guy who definitely knows more of the scriptures than I do. Here's a guy who definitely wouldn't miss any special services that were happening. Here's a guy who's definitely committed. And so here's him. That's who they would think of, the Pharisee. All right, he's going to be the hero in this, in this little story, this parable. That's what they would think of. And then he also uses another character, a tax collector. They were traitors. They were Jews who worked for the Roman government to tax their fellow Jews. They were hated. They were despised. And immediately the people would have thought, yeah, some dirtbag right there. He's definitely going to be the loser in this story. So he, he grabs their attention immediately, introducing these two characters. I want us to use the Pharisee first. I want us to use the Pharisee to draw out some of the symptoms 
that we have in our hearts, some of the symptoms that we have in our lives of self-deception and self-righteousness. I want to go ahead and use him. He definitely, this Pharisee definitely thought an awful lot of himself. He, he definitely thought of himself as being right in his own eyes. So let's take a look at him, and I just want to share with you some things that I've seen here in this parable that can help us identify if we're in danger of the same self-deception and the same self-righteousness. So number one here, we tend, we tend to minimize our own sinfulness. We tend to minimize our own sinfulness. I'm being exceptionally generous to this Pharisee because he didn't minimize it. It just was non-existent here in his prayer. But we tend to minimize our own sinfulness. We really do tend to think, and this guy certainly thought, that we are better than we really are. I mean, that's, that's, man, that's a problem that we have. It's, as J.C. Ryle says, it's the family disease. We really do think of ourselves as better than we really are. We have minimized, we're so quick to minimize our own sin, while at the same time looking at other people with a magnifying glass and seeing their faults. Now that's a huge temptation and a huge issue that we deal with. We tend to minimize our own sinfulness. This Pharisee, there's nothing in his prayer, absolutely nothing in his prayer that is remotely a confession of sin. In fact, it's, it's a ridiculous prayer. Look at how he starts this out in verse 11. The Pharisee, he's, he's standing by himself. He prays like this, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. I mean, what a, what a way to start out a prayer. I thank you that I'm extraordinary. I'm not, I'm not sinful like all those other men are. I don't have those issues. I don't ever have any of those issues. I hear about some of those issues other men struggle with, but God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I mean, can you not sense from the opening line of his prayer that this guy's filled with self-deception, self-righteousness. He has minimized his own sinfulness down to its non-existence. Again, quoting from J.C. Ryle, he says this. He says, One great defect stands out in the face of this prayer, a defect so glaring that even a child might mark it. It exhibits no sense of sin and need. It contains no confession, no petition, no acknowledgement of guilt and emptiness, no supplication for mercy and grace, it's a mere boasting recital of fancied merits accompanied by an uncharitable reflection on a brother sinner. It is proud, high-minded, destitute of any penitence, humility, or charity. And he says this, in short, it hardly deserves to be called a prayer at all. I mean, he's, just, he's totally minimizing anything about himself that he's guilty, that there's even an issue there. In fact, he says the opposite. There is no issue here. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other men. He lists them out. Extortioners, <laughs> unjust, adulterers. And then, and then imagine this. He says, and even like this tax collector right here. I'm not like him. I'm something different. I'm without this problem that all these other people have. We tend to minimize our sinfulness. Oh, it's a temptation for us all. Paul Tripp's right. It's so hard for us to identify and see our own sin. This, this disease, we often need help with this because men are quick to just defend why they did something make excuses for why something happened. It's just what we do, men. We're so fast to minimize the sinfulness of, oh, well, that was just some kind of mistake I made. I was just, you know, it's it not really that big of a deal. You know, especially like he does, especially when we begin to compare ourselves to others. Hey, that may have been a little something I struggle with, but hey, have you seen so-and-so? You know, 
oh, I, you know, I, I, I may have had that, you know, that kind of, kind of issue, but have you heard about Childers? You know what's going on in his life? And we begin to compare ourselves to others like he does. We minimize our own sinfulness. And we begin to think, man, I, I really must be a pretty good, pretty decent fella. Hey, God, I'm so glad I'm not like other men. Man, I'll tell you, men, boys, don't ever pray a prayer like that. <laughs> Thank you, God, I'm not like other men. He immediately has placed himself in the position of being a liar. He has absolutely not seen himself correctly. You know, this happens a lot in men's lives when they hear of another brother falling into some kind of sin. You guys all have known examples of that. Maybe it's happened to you. Something's happened in your life, some major failure's gone on. And often men are like, oh, I'd never do that. You know, they hear that somebody has, has something has happened in their life, and, and you can just fill in the blank, whatever it is, this has happened in their life, and you're just, oh, I can't believe that would happen. I would never, ever, ever do that. You know, the Bible warns us not to think that way. Like, if we think that we're not going to fall, if we think we're going to stand, watch out, lest you fall. That's 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Watch out so that you don't fall. Don't think yourself more highly than you ought to. Don't think that you're above something like that. And don't minimize our own sinfulness. 1 John 1.9 is a famous verse. Lots of people quote it all the time. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How many of you have heard that verse before in your life? More than 10 times, raise your hand. I mean, just, you know, we are faithful. If we'll confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a great verse, isn't it? It's an awesome verse, isn't it? Do you know it's sandwiched between two other verses that are equally as important? You know, it's the sandwich meat between two buns that are super important. Let me read to you that verse in context to help you and I not minimize our own sinfulness. 1 John 1, 8, 9, and 10 say this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Friends, we have this tendency to minimize our sin. And when we do so, we are acting like this Pharisee. Let's not be that way. The Apostle Paul viewed himself it's the worst of sinners. And I'm afraid sometimes in myself and maybe in many of your lives, we view ourselves as the least of sinners. Hey, we're doing pretty good. We go to church a lot. You know, I go to church a lot. You guys know that? I go to church a lot. <laughs> Just, I have no choice, I guess. I go to church a lot. Justin Nail goes to church more than I do, but I go to church a lot. You know, and it's, it, we just have this tendency to say, hey, we're, we're church folks, and we're pretty good, and we... You know, we don't, we, don't, we don't watch that many rated R movies, and we, you know, we, we listen to half of Christian music, or we, we listen to this, or, or, or we do this, or we do that, and we, st- we, we tend to, to just sort of build ourselves up like we're just some kind of great person. And we forget that the guy that wrote most of the New Testament considered himself the worst of sinners. And if this is an issue for you, I, I can't even get into it tonight, but I can recommend to you two books, both by Jerry Bridges, Transforming Grace and Respectable Sins. Great books. If you're sitting here tonight saying, Dan, I, you know, I hear you, but really, I, I really am a pretty good person. I really am okay. You know, I really do have it all together. I really, I'm really just not really that much of a sinner. I don't really know what you're talking about here. If that's you, I got to move on to something else here, but I recommend those two books to you if you struggle with thinking you really are better 
than we truly are. That's what happened here. He minimizes his own sinfulness. Secondly, he, he approaches God nonchalantly. I mean, he just, he just, it's almost like he just waltzes up to God. There's, there's no sense in here that the Pharisee is approaching Almighty God. There's no sense in here that he is realizing that he is talking to the Almighty One, the Creator of heaven and earth. It's, it's almost like he's just, hey, God, thank you that I'm not like other men. It's almost like he's just talking to one of his buddies. He approaches God nonchalantly, and that, friends, is a sign of you and I deceiving ourselves and being self-righteous and not realizing the gulf between a holy, righteous God and us. When we do any of these things I'm talking about tonight, we make little of the cross because we don't realize this, this gulf between how holy and sovereign and righteous God is and how unholy we are. So we, we approach God nonchalantly. When I was in college, I read an article by Dan Zink. He's a professor of theology at Covenant Theological Seminary. It was part of a sermon that he had preached. His sermon was, it was well, it was about Nadab and Abihu. It was about Uzzah. It was pr- pretty much about people that God smote in the Old Testament. You know who these people are, Nadab and Abihu. They, they were sons of Aaron, and, and they, they offered what is called unauthorized sacrifice before the Lord. They did something wrong in how they were coming and approaching God, and, and God killed them. You guys remember that? Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus. You remember that happening? And then Uzzah, Uzzah, he's, he's the guy that was trying to help out when the ark was going to fall in the mud. You know, David was bringing the ark back to, to Jerusalem, and he was singing, and everything was happening, and there was tambourines, and it was like Servants Art Fellowship worship service happening right there. And they're bringing the ark in, in, in the back of a cart. It wasn't even being carried the way it was supposed to be. And the ox stumbled, and you guys remember this. It went, and, and Uzzah reached out, and he touched the ark. He was trying to keep it from going into the mud, and God killed him for it. And it was in the middle of this sermon that Professor Dan Zink said this, and I wrote this down in my back of the Bible that I was using when I was in college, and I still have it on my shelf at home, I wrote this. Dan Zink, professor of practical theology at Covenant Theological Seminary, he said this. He said, sometimes I almost flippantly confess the things I have done, forgetting for a moment that he has killed for less. Lord, I'm sorry I messed up last night. It's just it's a rough day. Just almost flippantly confess the things I have done, forgetting for a moment you read through the scriptures he has killed for less. Man, we we do not need to approach God casually. We do not need to approach God as if he is, well, just a little bit greater than we are. We do not need to approach God unless we have a sense of awe in who he really is. And this Pharisee, I mean, he just gets right into it. Hey, God, thanks that I'm not like other men. He just approaches God in such a casual way. No sense that he remembered that our God is a consuming fire. Very casual. No sense to the fear of the Lord. And I wonder how often we fall into this trap, man, where we just, we just approach God in such a flippant manner. You know, something's going on in your life. Perhaps there's, perhaps you're sitting here tonight, and you've just, you've been involved in, in some kind of deep struggle. Maybe some kind of sin has its, its grip on your neck, and yet when you confess that, when you talk to God about that, it's, it's, it's simply flippant. It's like, hey, Lord, it's just not really that big of a deal wonder how many of us are nonchalant about our approach with God. This Pharisee, he certainly was. And third, it just gets worse and worse. Sometimes we dare to approach God with our resume. It's ridiculous. This Pharisee actually praises himself in the face of God. It's absolutely amazing what he does there. He brings, he brings this, 
this resume, this list of things about himself. I'm just telling you right now, this is a very bad idea. This is a bad idea. If there was a list of of bad ways to approach God, this would be at the top of it. Do not approach God with some kind of list of who you are and what you've done. He's not impressed. He's not impressed. This this guy's list, it's it's incredible that he approaches God this way. He, he, He says, I thank you. I'm not like other men. I'm not an extortioner. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not even like this tax collector. And look, look what he does in verse 12. It's like he just begins this resume of, of himself. He's, he's talking to God here. He's come up to the temple uh, to worship, I suppose, is what he's supposed to do. And instead, he's just boasting in and of himself. He's bringing this, this resume. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. It's like, hey, God, look at me. Aren't you lucky to have me as one of your followers? He approaches God with a resume. It's, it's, it's a really bad idea. Occasionally, Autumn and I get into some fights, and it just happens. It does. We've been married almost 20 years. It just happens, doesn't it, men? It's, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It just happens. And I'm going to tell you something. If, if Autumn was sitting here tonight, she would agree with what I'm about to say. I, I assure you she would agree. I got two boys here so they can go home, double check so I don't get in trouble later. But I, I win all these arguments. I do. I win them all. I speak for a living. That's what I do. I use my mouth. That's what, I, what I'm doing right now. This is what I do. I use my mouth. And so I, I speak better than she does. And so whenever we have these arguments, it doesn't matter what it's about. It could be something I totally did wrong, left the seat up. It doesn't matter what it could be. And somehow I'm going to find a way to win. You know how I usually find a way to win? I, I, I do what this guy did. I begin, to, I begin to pull out a resume of the things that I do. Well, I do this. Well, I do that. Well, I do this. And you know what? I win the argument. But like an old buddy of mine used to say, I still lose. <laughs> you only have to be married for about 10 minutes to realize that. You win an argument, you still lose. Because she's not impressed by my list of what I do and what I don't do. And neither is God. He's not impressed by this. There's, there's nothing impressive about what this guy's saying. Hey, I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I get and I'm not like these other people. I don't commit adultery and I don't, I'm not an extortioner and I'm not unjust. I don't, I don't do any of that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm bringing you my list. Hey God, look at me. Look at me. Never a good idea. Do not do this. Never, never go to God and say, hey, just have a look at me and look at what I'm doing, God. And, and I would like you to go ahead and judge me based upon me. That's a bad idea. It's a very bad idea. Don't approach God with your resume. One of the most terrifying passages of Scripture is Matthew 7, 21 to 23. This is where we find out what Jesus really thinks about those who approach the Lord with their resumes. Let me just read to you this passage, Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, I sure wish this didn't say many. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name and then I will declare to them the most terrifying words come out of the mouth of the Savior I never knew you depart from me you workers of lawlessness and these are these are terrifying things this is what happens when You get caught up in self-deception. That's what happens when self-deception marries up with its best friend, self-righteousness, and this becomes who you are and how you live. You, you, You approach God with your resume. You approach God nonchalantly because you don't think there's an issue here. There's no problem here. 
Everything's okay in your life. Everything's perfect in your life, so you really don't need to come humbly. You can just come. And, and hey, God, have a look at me. And we approach him that way. These are all symptoms of self-righteousness. And this Pharisee, he models them so well for us. He models them so well. This, this character in, in Jesus' parable, he models it so well for us. And he leaves, and, and sadly, he leaves unjustified. You know, he wasn't just an example of a guy who was trying to work his way to heaven. That's not the issue here at hand. He already thought he was okay. He wasn't a guy here that's trying to work for salvation. He already thought he had it. He wasn't a guy that's trying to earn righteousness. He already thought he had righteousness. And so his, his issue is here. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't ask for forgiveness. He thinks he doesn't need it. That's what's so sad about self-deception and self-righteousness. He doesn't ask for the Lord to forgive him because he doesn't think he needs it. He doesn't have a very accurate view of himself, does he? No. It's sad. It's discouraging. And if it were left there, we'd walk away tonight feeling like there was no hope. But this other character, this other guy, this tax collector. It's his turn to pray. Let's take a look at what he says and then learn from him. The tax collector, verse 13, standing far off. It's just, he's far off in the temple. He knows something's not right. Well, he's not self-deceived. He's not pretending to be something that he's not. He's, he, hasn't, he hasn't come in with a resume to show to God. He hasn't approached God nonchalantly. Hey, Lord, it's me, your absolute favorite follower. No, he's not, he's not at all doing that. He's standing far off. He won't even lift his eyes to heaven. That's what verse 13 says. This guy's standing far off. He will not even lift his eyes to to heaven. He beats his breast. That's a sign of, of sorrow and remorse. He, he, he beats his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. <laughs> and Jesus says, that's the guy. That's the guy that goes down to his house justified rather than the other. Listen, there really is only one remedy for this disease that we have. There really is only one remedy for self-righteousness. There is only one remedy for self-deception, and that is truth. The truth of who we are and the truth of the gospel. That's the only remedy for it. And this guy, he got it. He realized it. He came, and he, he wasn't trusting in himself. He wasn't looking down on anyone else. He fully realized how wretched he was, and his prayer is simple pure, and it receives what it asks for, the mercy of God. Only one remedy for self-righteousness and self-deception, and that is the truth. He didn't pretend. Men, stop pretending. Lay down the resumes. He's not impressed. He's not impressed by our collections of, of what we've done. He's not impressed by us pulling out some kind of list of, hey God, have a look at, have a look at what I've been doing for you. He's, he's not impressed by that. You don't have to pretend in the face of God to be something that you aren't. He already knows. Everything about you, which is both terrifying and joyous at the same time. He already knows everything about you and about me. We don't have to pretend anymore. Paul Tripp says, life in a fallen world, life in a fallen world is like attending the ultimate masquerade party. So people just hide. They just hide behind their mask of, I'd never do that. 
They hide behind their mask of, aren't I better than I really am? They just hide behind their mask. It's like this unending masquerade party. Steve Brown, one of my favorite authors, Steve Brown, professor of, uh, at RTS in Florida, he says, he says sometimes church services, church services are like we're putting on a play. <laughs> we just come and pretend. Yes, what a mighty God we serve. Just sing the songs and we go through the motions, all the while hiding who we are, hiding that we struggle with sin. What, what are we afraid of? We afraid that somebody's going to find out that we actually struggle with sin? Guess what, gentlemen? I struggle with sin. Do you? <laughs> Where we go? The secret's out. That's what, that's what we are. We're, we're, we're still sinners. The power of sin has been broken, but its indwelling presence is still there. Can't you feel it? Don't you feel it? You do. You don't have to put a mask on. You don't have to be like the Pharisee and pretend that you're something that that you're, you're really not. You don't have to put on a mask and somehow pretend that you're better than you really are. And so many of us, we've been wearing our masks for so long, it's, it's almost like they're permanently sewn onto our faces. So we're terrified that some of them find out that sin is still an issue for us. We're terrified that people would find out that Things haven't always been perfect in our life, and maybe right now they're not. We're, we're terrified. And so we, we wear these masks, and life is like attending a, an ultimate masquerade party. Or, or maybe we're wearing these masks, and we're just hoping that maybe God's he's not, he's just not looking too close, and somehow I've fooled him. I've pulled one over on him here. And so I'm just wearing this mask, and maybe God thinks I'm a little bit better than I really am. Well, guess what? In the famous words of Bob Newhart, stop it. I mean, just stop it. <laughs> I mean, this is the best advice he ever gave. Stop it. It's not working. It's not working. God is, he is not fooled. You and I are unmasked before his holy eyes. It's not working. But friends, let me just tell you something here. You've got to hear this. You've got to hear this. If you are a genuinely converted follower of Jesus Christ, if you're here tonight, you are a Christian. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He's already accepted you. Isn't that good news? He's, he's already accepted you. Dirt and all, yeah. Problems and all, yeah. Baggage and all, yeah. It's already accepted you. You don't have to earn anything. In fact, you can't earn anything. That's why the tax collector got it. He realized his condition. He beat his breast and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He understood he couldn't fool God. You can't either and you don't have to, so you can stop trying, and there's something so freeing about that if you'll let that sink into your soul that you don't have to pretend to be like the other guy. You don't have to pretend to be like the Pharisee. You don't have to compare yourself to others. You don't have to go through the tiresome routine weekly of somehow putting on a mask and coming to church and pretending you're somebody that you're not. You don't have to because God already loves you unconditionally and you can't quench that kind of love. You just can't. That's, that's the gospel truth. You, you, can just, you can just lay aside your resume. In fact, in fact, someone else has placed his resume on top of yours. And so when, so when the Father considers you, he doesn't even look at your gnarly, nasty, tattered resume. He sees the pure, spotless resume of his son. What are we pretending for? Why are we doing this masquerade party? God's not fooled and we don't have to fool him. He already loves us exactly how we are. J.I. Packer in his famous book, Knowing God, that contrary to what you may have read recently, deserves to be on every Christian's shelf in their must-have library, 
J.I. Packers, knowing God, he has said this, and I hope this captures your attention tonight. He says, the grace of God is love freely shown towards guilty sinners. Are, are you one? Are, yeah. Freely shown toward guilty sinners, contrary to their merit, and indeed in defiance of their demerit. Oh, isn't that great? Contrary to their merit, they can't earn it, and indeed in defiance to their demerit. It is God showing goodness to persons who deserve only severity and have no reason to expect anything but severity. Once a person is convinced of this, this is what Packer says, once a person is convinced of this, the New Testament gospel of grace cannot but sweep him off his feet with joy and wonder, for it tells of how our judge has become our savior. That's what we need to do, toss away all these foolish, stupid masks and be swept off our feet in joy and wonder and realize what God has done on our behalf. That's what we need, men. That's what we need. That is a bullet through the heart of self-deception and self-righteousness. When you realize I'm a guilty sinner and yet God has done this on my behalf and there's nothing I can do to please him. He's already pleased with me because of what Jesus has done for me. That should sweep you and me right off our feet in joy and wonder. You know, the truth is you are worse than you think you are. But God's grace is much more amazing than you thought it was. That's the truth. It's not that we're better than we think we are. No, that's the lie. That's the self-deception. That's the, that's the self-righteousness. We're not better than we think we are. Friends, men, we're worse. You are worse than you think you are. But God's grace, his love, the cross is far greater, far greater than you and I ever thought it was. Oh, that is so freeing for our souls. Most of you know this, John Newton. He wrote Amazing Grace. He said this near the end of his life. Well-known quote, John Newton. I think he was 82 years old, 82 or 83. He said to this to a friend. He said, my memory is nearly gone. Some of you could quote this. But I remember two things that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. That's the truth of the gospel. One of my closest friends died seven weeks ago tonight at 6.04, seven weeks ago. His brother attends his church, Jimbo. Many of you knew Mike Baker. Seven weeks ago, he was my accountability partner. He was one of my closest friends and also was the person in my life who I, I saw confess his sins more than anyone else I've ever seen in all of my ministry. I've never seen anyone confess his sins more freely than Mike Baker. Never. In fact, sometimes it was a little startling. He would, I mean, he would, he, would, he would treat someone wrong or he'd make a wrong decision or he'd treat one of, one of, one of his and Jimbo's workers wrong or he'd do something wrong and he'd call me up and he'd confess his sin. And I mean, it was, it was refreshing and yet it was rather startling. And I asked him on one occasion, I said, I said what, what is your secret to this? And he just would confess his sins, like, I mean, just in the same way that you guys would talk about sports scores. I mean, Mike Baker was that kind of a guy. He would just be like, whoa, and I did this. And I did that, and I did this, and be like, whoa, I didn't even know that. And I did this. I mean, he just was like that, that kind of a man. It's just amazing guy in my life. And I saw him over and over again confess his sins, and I asked him what his secret was. He told me a long time ago. He said, Dan, I just stopped pretending. <laughs> that was a secret. So I, I just, I, I grew tired of pretending, so I stopped. I knew I was saved by grace. Sanctification is a, is, a, is a process. and I'm not as good as I often think I am. I just stopped pretending. Isn't that refreshing? Isn't that incredible? Isn't that what you want to be like? I do. Just stop pretending. God's grace is absolutely amazing. And the Lord is not impressed 
with mine and your resume, but he sure is impressed with Jesus' resume. And the glorious truth of the gospel is that's now permanently attached to your file. Isn't that great? Permanently attached to your file. So my prayer, my hope, men, boys, is that everyone in this room, like Mike Baker, would grow tired of pretending that they're really better than they are and just enjoy the grace of God in your life. Just enjoy the, the full free forgiveness that you have. Enjoy that there is therefore now no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that good news? That is the gospel. Would you stand, please, as I pray for us, and then we will be released. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for this opportunity. I am blessed to have been able to be here, share with these men, these boys. Lord, I, I, I need what I just preached, so I, I'm not even pretending for a moment. Those in this room that know me very well would agree. I'm not pretending for a moment that I got this all worked out. I don't. And I'm so grateful that because of Jesus, I don't have to have this all worked out. I don't have to pretend I'm any better than I really am. I don't have to put on some kind of mask. I don't have to fool you and fool others. I thank you that it is your pure, sheer, raw grace that saved a wretch like me. Thank you, Lord. And that's the testimony of every man in here who has cried out for their Savior. Saved by the pure, raw grace of God. We thank you for it. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be encouraged as we leave tonight and safely get home. And as always, we give you honor and praise for all that you do. And you get credit for anything that happens in any of our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Good night, men. Thank you.